Good morning, first service. Hey, real quick, just one little correction on the announcements this morning. So Mother's Day photos are going to be taken May 7th and May 8th. That's Friday and Saturday. Service is on the 9th. That wasn't past Kevin. It was a little bit of error on the graphic, but that's what's happening there. So photos are May 7th and 8th, Friday and Saturday. Get on the app and register for those. Register for time slot, all right? All right. Marriage. Who's excited? Okay. You're excited about as much as I am. This is good. Um, I'll put it this way. You might not know this, but when you learn to be a pastor and you go and you, you go to preaching classes, they do talk about certain messages that you'll preach on in your career, and one of them is marriage. And, and one of the golden rules to preaching a marriage sermon is you have two roads. Either you offend no one or you offend everyone. I have chosen the latter this morning, okay? All right, that's what we're going to do. But before we do anything else, let's pray for the Lord to bless the message. So bow with me. Dearly Father, God, we just thank you so much for that we can gather in here in your house. God, we just pray that it be your words and not mine as we talk about a commitment and a union that is designed after the Holy Trinity, which is you, God. Pray us on your name. Amen. In order to talk about marriage, the first thing I have to talk about is all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to the beginning, God said something. Here's what he said in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord said, God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So men, if you've ever thought in your marriage, like, why are we even doing this? Your problem's with God, not me. All right? That's rule number one. But let me talk about that text for a second. That word helper, uh, actually in the Hebrew, it comes out to companion. I love one of the definitions when you look up companion. It says one part of a couple that's meant to complement the other. So when we talk about marriage in general, we talk about we're able to complement our spouses as our personalities and our traits and how we act and behave. Let me tell you most importantly what I'm excited about this morning. I'm preaching a sermon on marriage, and my wife Megan is at women's retreat. So she doesn't get to hear anything I'm saying this morning. So, all right. And as we talk about marriage this morning, sometimes I think we get pop culture in our head about we have these couples we see, iconic TV couples. We're like, oh, that's what the marriage is supposed to look like. This is what relationships. So I've picked four relationships that were common in pop culture in my upbringing and a little bit more closer to now. And maybe you know who these are. Let's put up the first couple. See who gets it. Who knows who they are? That's Cora and Topanga. Absolutely. All right, our next couple. Zach and Kelly from Saved by the Bell. Hey, hey, who's my early 90s kids in here? Whoop, whoop. All right. All right. Uh, the next one is iconic, Ross and Rachel. All right. And then the last one, this is the ideal, Jim and Pam. Who's my office fans? My office fans in here? Yes, one of the greatest shows ever. And sometimes when we talk about marriage and relationships, we think about these iconic TV couples, and we watch the drama that unfolds in their life. And you see the happiness on screen, and you're like, man, why don't I have that? I just have all the drama, but not the happiness. Maybe a problem has arised because we've gotten a little selfish. Let me talk about a phrase that no one ever heard of before 10 years ago. The phrase or the word is this word, the word selfie. All right, the word selfie. Some of you in here are like, what is he talking about? What a selfie is. Give me some illustrations of some selfies, tech team. What do you got for me? 
Yeah, right. So like, the tech team had no idea where I was going with this. They're going to regret this. So we got some selfies of my tech team and just somebody taking a selfie. Church, do you know why they call it selfie? Because narcissism is too hard to spell. <laughs> yeah, they had no idea where I was going with that. I'm serious. Maybe that's one of the problems in our relationships today is we focus too much on the individual. What's, what about me? Where am I at in this? And then we try to make sure we pick out spots in our relationships and our person that people can see. And then all of a sudden what you got is people that display a marriage and everybody's like, man, if we could just be like that couple. As someone that does premarital and marital counseling, let me tell you something. Yeah, you can say that, but I guarantee you, if you were in that person's house 24-7, you would not say those words. Because what you see on screen, what you see on social media, is not reality. Did you hear me? Younger people, did you hear me? I know I sounded really old saying that. What you see on social media is not reality. And the problem is that maybe we have gotten just too selfish. Another way to illustrate this is there's a common phrase that was used that shows the importance of punctuation in the English language. So let me put up that phrase. Go ahead, put up that phrase for me. Woman without her man is nothing, all right? So they have this phrase, there's no punctuation in it. And then here's how ladies would punctuate that sentence. Women, without her, man is nothing. And men, here's how you might punctuate that. Woman without her man is nothing. It shows the differences we might have. Because it puts the importance on ourselves. Like, hey, I'm important. I need to be in this. I own this. And this morning, I'm going to talk about three keys. But before I talk about those, I want you to know why I'm talking about these three keys. There are two main pillars that hold up every marriage. All right? So we know the foundation is supposed to be Jesus. The biggest pillar that holds up marriage is commitment. Or another word for that is trust. So this morning, we're going to talk about three keys. Build trust. Maintain trust and rebuild trust. We're going to talk about those three keys in our marriage relationships and how those from Scripture make our marriages a relationship that God would be pleased in. Let's talk about the first one. Building trust. Build trust. So, if you're in a dating relationship in here, engaged, maybe thinking about dating, this point is for you. But married couples, do not ignore this. The first step, get to know each other. Get to know each other. And, and you, might, you might be like, Chase, that's so simple. Is it though? Because now what we see in relationships is not this point. Because how this is supposed to happen is you're supposed to get to know each other. Then you realize, can I trust this person? Then you realize, I can depend on this person. Then you say, oh, hey, that because of all this, I know that I can share my heart with you. Nowadays, what we have in relationships is Oh, I met this person, and now I can share my heart with you. And for some reason, we have forgotten everything in between. Get to know each other. Maybe if uh, you've been married less than seven, eight years, let me speak to you for a second. Do you remember that time when you were first dating or engaged, and you used to text or call all the time? And it was so annoying to your friend group that all of a sudden your phone was always going off, and you had that weird, goofy smile. Ooh, hey. 
Or maybe you've been married a little bit longer than that and it was the late night phone calls and you stayed up on the phone for an hour and a half and fell asleep on the phone. Gag me, but that probably happened to some of you, all right? Or maybe for some of you in the room, it was sitting down and sending out some snail mail and you couldn't be more excited to do that. Oh, kids in the room, snail mail, it's when you actually physically write a letter, all right? Just saying what that is. And you were excited to do that because you wanted to get to know that person. It's important because as we do this step, we're going to find out something super foundational. And it's this, are they a believer? You find that out in this step right here. And church, if we call ourselves Christians in marriage, this is foundational. The next thing you're going to look for as you build trust is look at character traits. What I call this when I talk to teenagers or when I talk to students that are in dating relationships, you're looking for, you're looking for flags is what you're looking for. You're looking for penalty markers. You're looking for those things that make you go, ah, really? You're looking for that person that just bashes their mom because nobody wants you to be with that person. You're looking for that person that talks so negatively about your friends and knowing, oh, hey, that might not be good. Look for character traits. Do they follow up with what they say they're going to do? Do they show love and compassion? And then third, be honest with yourself. So how you build trust? Get to know each other, look at character traits, and be honest with yourself. For those of you that might be dating or engaged in the room, let me give you this famous phrase that I use all the time. You cannot marry potential. You cannot marry potential. You got to marry what's right there in front of you. Too many people have gotten caught up with, man, I just saw so much potential in him. I thought after five years of my training, he would be okay. Okay, I don't know who's told you that, but that's not how it works. Because if you think that's how it works, all of a sudden you're going to try to train somebody and they're going to resent you for it because that wasn't their path for them. So you cannot marry potential. Believers in the room, there's a reason we have unequally yoked passages. If they're not a believer, that is not going to be a foundational relationship for you. I'm sorry. And don't date them to think that you can make them a believer. That's on God's time, not yours. Proverbs 25, 14 tells us this, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Why use that proverb is because you need to be honest with yourself. If someone says they can do something or are something, but they don't see it, you don't see it, that's a flag. That's a penalty. All right? So building trust. We breeze through that. Now let's get to our main point of our message. Ephesians chapter 5, famous, famous marriage passage. Here we go. 31 to 33 says this. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Can I get an amen? All right, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When we talk about maintaining trust, how to maintain trust in a relationship in a marriage it is through mutual submission first mutual submission now some of you in here might be bible scholars and you might say hey chase if i flip to earlier earlier in ephesians chapter 5 it says hey ladies submit to your husbands that's what it says okay if you want to bark up the tree of headship with this pastor let's do that 
Go a couple more verses down. Ephesians 5.25 says you should love your wife as Christ loved the church. You know what that means? You should die for her day in and day out. Now let me see what that practically means. You should be willing to do what she needs done for herself. What does that mean for you men? You don't get your way. You want to talk about headship? Because that's what I'm going to respond with. It's mutual submission. Everybody knows it. Parents probably taught you this when you got married, or grandparents told you this. What's the famous word to make a marriage last? You might know it starts with a C. Compromise. Compromise. Communicate. Compromise. Communicate. Love one another. Mutual submission. Well, and then you might say, well, Chase, well, well at some point somebody's got to be the leader. You're right. At some point somebody does. And here's my point to you, especially men in the room. So let me call you out first. God did not say, hey, men, Paul does not say that you are the head of the household because you are God's gift to the society. That's in this text because it is a responsibility. And what that means, Ephesians chapter 5, it's all about one thing, sacrificial love. What that means is 95, 95% of the time, I'm going to ask Megan, hey, what do you want to do? And I'm going to go with that. Why? Because her happiness makes me happy. That's how my marriage works. Now, there are those cases that I see things going on. I'm like, I've got to step in here and say something. Say, hey, this is how it's got to be. And I, I, I might do that. I'll be honest with you. In my going on, you know, in our seven years of relationship, let me tell you, I have done that once. Once. And it worked out okay. Here's why. Because over the time, what we call in premarital counseling is called love tanks. I've encouraged, I've built her up, I've talked nice things, I've said good things. She's done the same to me. The Holy Spirit's been moving in that. That way when I have to do that, she knows that I still love and care about her. Now, first off, don't hear me and say, oh, Chase has got this perfect marriage. He, they're still young in it. That's not what I'm saying. Our marriage isn't perfect. It's improving daily. But the one thing that we know is this, after mutual submission, we have to encourage one another. We have to encourage one another. Now, man, I've called you out a lot. So ladies, let me call you out. This is where I get stoned, by the way. Okay. Men, whether you know it or not, women are verbally superior. I do not know if you know that. They are. Men, if you don't know this, you do win half of the arguments you have. The one on the way home preparing for it. That's the one you win. All right? So ladies, what I want to say to you is this. As we talk about encouraging one another, everything that comes right here doesn't have to be verbalized. What I mean by that is this. If you've said, you've wrote it down, hey, we need to make sure this is done. Here's what doesn't have to happen. 20 minutes later, why have you not done this yet? 12 and a half minutes later, why does it still look like this? 13 and a half minutes later, why have you not talked to that child yet? Nine minutes later, I'm so frustrated with you. Why have you not done this yet? It's been 37 and a half minutes. Maybe we should practice some just like routine, fundamental conversations. I would appreciate it if you could do this. Or when something gets done, man, I'm so glad you did that. It makes me so happy. Men in the room, I have Genesis 2.23 next to that passage for you. And here's why. 
Do you know the first thing that Adam did when he saw Eve? The first thing Adam did when he saw Eve, here's what it says in 23 of Genesis 2. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The first thing Adam did when he saw Eve, he broke out into poetry. Try that today. Seriously, I don't know. Try a haiku. I forget what it is, but I remember it in seventh grade English. It was talked about. <laughs> Encourage one another. And what I mean by that, men, is we have a hard point in doing this. You come into work and you're having a great day, super happy, things going well at home. We don't vocalize that to other people. And the problem with that is we wonder why when, especially younger generations, the Generation Z we got coming up and the younger millennials, we wonder why they decide, hey, we need to live together first before we're married to try this out. Probably the reason why they're struggling with that is because we do not speak positively about marriage. They see the statistics like, oh, 47% 10 years ago was getting divorced. And the church has, has just a bad ratio too. It's because we don't talk positively about how awesome our marriage is. Why? Because it's weird. If I walked into the church office and I run into Pastor Dan and him, he's like, Chase, why are you so happy? Man, my marriage? Mm-hmm. Because that's awkward. <laughs> that's awkward. But we don't do that. Maybe if we actually showed younger generations and younger people that marriage is a great thing and we compliment each other, we wouldn't have so many problems we do. Encourage one another, men. Ladies, back down the task list just a little bit, all right? Like I said, I'm going to offend everybody today. It's okay. The last thing I want to talk about with how to maintain trust. How to maintain trust. Have fun. Let me go ahead and put aside a biblical thing that people used the church 70, 80 years ago. You are not just in your marriage to pop out children, that is not why, you, no, that is not, what, is not what that marriage is. Yes, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Yes, he did. But God did not say, this is the only reason for this union. Have fun. Have a good time. Play some practical jokes if your spouse is okay with that. All right? Continue doing that. It's okay. Maybe some of you like to have puzzle night. That's weird for me, but that's okay. Maybe some of you guys like to just sit down and watch some TV together. That's all right, too. Or maybe those of you that are like me want to have a competitive game night where you are trying to go at each other hard to win. That's all right, too. That's fun. How we maintain trust is through mutual submission, encourage one another, and have fun. Before I get to this third point, this third point about rebuilding trust, because building trust and maintaining trust pretty much says, hey, nothing catastrophic has happened yet in our marriage, and this is what we're doing to keep it healthy. But everybody knows this has been married longer than 12 days. Some point along the way, something bad is going to happen. Am I wrong? I don't think so. At some point along the way, something bad is going to happen. And you're going to have to address it, call it out, and talk about it. Better than me talking about a certain situation hypothetically, I have a video I want you to watch. So go ahead, lights, go down, cue the video. Angie Shock. Hi, I'm Sean, and Angie and I have been married for 16 years. 
And a year and a half ago, I, a couple days after Christmas, I decided that I was done with the marriage. There had been a lot of ups and downs over the years and a lot of differences in priorities and um, how we lived our lives and not much compromise. So I um, talked with my parents and uh, a couple close friends and contacted an attorney and started the process to file for divorce. So in my self-absorbed world, I never even realized that she had made this decision and I just thought we were going through a, a slump and a struggle as we had um, many times throughout our 16 year marriage and 20 year relationship. So in uh, mid-March, um, I finally had enough of the not talking and just, just the distancing that I reached out to Angie and in a text and on a Sunday and just said we need to talk and um, we got together later that afternoon and she handed me divorce papers and said that she was done and she moved on months ago and that there was really nothing I could say or do to change her mind. Yeah. So a feeling of total helplessness and vulnerability would be an understatement. Um, I just felt very lost and just it was just a really uh, tough, probably the, the would be the single toughest moment I've ever had in my life in 45 years. Something changed in that moment. I. Uh, just a flood of emotions naturally and you know I listened we talked and I listened to her and, and it was like everything that I had done and not done to to be a, a good husband and father and son and friend just came out right in front of my face and and of course there's a lot of deep regret and sadness. Um, and I did the one thing that I had never done or turned to in my life prior to that. Um, and I just got down on my knees and, and prayed to God and, and asked him for, for forgiveness and to help, help me, help, help me restore my marriage, help me be the person that he wants me to be. And I accepted that no matter what, he decided for me is the faith that, that I was going to accept it. But regardless, I was going to be come out of this a better person. I, you know, a better friend, a better father, a better son. I, when I told him, I mean, it was, you know, hanging 
hanging over me for several months, and so it was, it was dreadful. Um, but once it, it was out and it was no longer a secret, um, I felt relieved that we, I guess, were on the same page, that it, that it was out, that um, I, I didn't want to do it anymore. And he did the, he, his reaction was nothing I had planned for at all. I mean, so that's when God stepped in. Because he, like he said, he, he wasn't, he didn't pray. Um, God wasn't really a part of our life like he should have been as a family. Um, and when he contacted Dan, and that's the furthest thing that I would have ever thought he would have done. Um, so that's when all the, I don't know, that was a shock. That was a shock. Um, and then, yeah, just a lot of things changed um, as a family, as a couple. And um, we, yeah, we, we pray together. We pray together at dinner, which we had never done. Um, just started to put each other as a priority um, and make it known. Even if it's just hot tea in the morning, or flowers once in a while, or can I pick the kids up from school? What can I do to help you? But there was a lot of things that changed. Um, the, I mean, the first big one was when you actually agreed to go, or like you you initiated the trip to Florida. <laughs> not really your thing for our road trip adventures, but um, we went and we and you said you had a good time, which... Best vacation <laughs> I've ever had. And I've had a lot of vacations. <laughs> so, even with COVID, um, so... Yeah, it was just, just being together as a family. Being In the back present. of my mind, thinking that this you know, not wanting it to be the last, but this might be the last time we're together as a family. And there wasn't, there wasn't, there was nothing hanging over my head. There was no worrying about, worrying about work, worrying about money, time. It was just living in that moment. I would definitely say, um, remember that God's in charge, it's his timing. Because this is, I would not have ever thought that this is where I would be right now. Um, this is the last thing that I thought would happen. And I believe me, I had a lot of scenarios in my head. Um, and I had always wondered in years past, what am I doing wrong? How come I can't get him to church and, and make him see? Well, because it's not me that does that it was God and it was his timing so I you have to let go of control of sometimes and and let it happen the way that God planned it get down on your knees and pray to God and ask for his forgiveness and hand it over to him um, it's 
seems so simple just to say it, but it really is. I mean, it was that simple for me that I just let it all go. Um, I let it all go and I accepted Jesus Christ and as my father and savior and that no matter how, what happened with Angie and I going forward that I was going to come out of this a different person, a changed person and, and um, recognize that it's going to be a struggle each, each and every day, but I'm going to wake up each day and just try to be a little better son and, and father um, follow closer in, in Jesus' footsteps. So, Sean and Angie, that was, you know, a year and a half ago this journey started. Um, and they're working on their marriage every day, but by the grace of God, they're still committed to each other and doing it together. So, I mean, amen to that. I mean, I, that was awesome, yeah. <clears throat> and so as we talk about this last point about how to rebuild trust, uh, I want to talk about one thing first. And I don't know every marriage in here. I don't know where it's at, every relationship. I don't, I don't know where it's at. But I can say this. If you look at your relationship, your marriage, and you're saying, man, it's in a spot right now that's just not good. And if, if you look at each other and you say, I wish it was as good as it was in year one or year two, I, I want you to hear me on this. If that's what you're saying, you might have done something wrong. Because as, as we are on this journey with our spouses and through marriage, as we learn to complement each other and grow together, it is supposed to get better every year. Every single year. Because when I, when I hear that statement, man, if we just go back to year one, if we just go back to that honeymoon phase when we were early and in love, it's like when I hear older adults like, man, if I could just go back to high school, those are the glory days. No, we've missed something. We've missed something, church. And that's why it's so important that we talk about it. We talk about how, how excited or happy our spouse makes us. We talk about how great our marriage is. Or better yet, as Pastor Dan talked about last week with parenting, we talk about how great having kids is. We talk about these things that God has created and given to us in a positive way. And I think that's something we've lost sight of. And I get it. COVID has been hard. This last year has brought out a lot of flaws. It has put just the microscope on our lives and seeing the fissures and the cracks. Because if we looked at our world today compared to 15, 20 years ago, we might say this. Hate might be a little bit stronger today. With our friendships, with our marriages, with our parenting styles, with everything. We might have lost sight of the great things that God has given us to be stewards over. And when I said it in prayer this morning, I meant that. Do you understand that marriage is something that God knew worked? It is formed after the Trinity, being God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is, as you guys as a married couple, as you and your spouse, as you grow closer to God, you grow closer together. 
as long as you're doing that journey together. Because your marriage, my marriage is not just between me and Megan. My marriage is between me, Megan, and God. It's a covenant I made with him. And you know what that helps me with? What helps me be accountable is when I make mistakes, and I make many of them, I answer to somebody else, not just my, not just my spouse. Because I have to look at it and say, this is a daughter of God that I have offended. His creation that he put in my path to help steward. Man, that's rough. But man, when it's clicking, man, is it good. We will constantly make mistakes. And as we talk about what it means to rebuild trust, the first thing that has to happen is forgiveness. Forgiveness has to happen. And actually... C.S. Lewis has a great quote. It goes this way. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you say that you love something, not just that emotional heart emoji feeling, if you actually love something, meaning as yourself, man, you're putting yourself out there. Yeah, you're going to be hurt. You know why? Because there's no one in this room, and this guy included, that's perfect. There's nothing that's perfect. And so if we have that love for something, it's going to hurt us at some point. Uh, um, you know, Paul writes it this way before he writes Ephesians 5, the end of chapter 4. So chapter 4, verse 32 says this of Ephesians. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So if your marriage is in a spot where you're like, you know what, we've got to get back on path. We've got to get back closer. How we rebuild trust is first forgiveness. Whoever has the one that's been offended, it has to be offering forgiveness. Then the next thing that has to happen is change. Forgiveness, then change. What I mean is as you guys address things and talk about things in your marriage, you start setting a path of saying, hey, here's the goals. Here's the mile markers. They have to be tangible. Because sometimes it's like this. We go from a marriage that's like, man, it is struggling hard because of hatred. And you ask, and you say, all right, what change do you want to see? And all of a sudden, we put out this unrealistic expectation. Oh, I never want to feel like you've lied to me ever again. Say, what? I never want to feel like you've hurt me ever again. Say, What? The expectation needs to be, hey, I need us to grow closer to Jesus every day. I need us to be less hypocritical every day. Put something out there we can hit. Put something out there that we can start executing. And then as forgiveness and change starts happening, the only way you're going to know if you've rebuilt trust is you've got to offer trust. Now, the problem with this dichotomy is between the one that's the offender and the offended in the marriage. At some point, each person's going to be one or the other, and you're going to have both at some point. What I mean by that is this. If you're the offender, if you're the one that you think you're in the wrong in the marriage at this certain moment or this certain conflict, and you're saying, man, it has taken too long. Let's just, I'm not assuming anything, but let's just assume the man is the one in the wrong. 
If he starts saying, man, I know I did this horrible thing, but she's not offering trust. It's been 12 days. It's been two months. First off, it might take some time. And you've got to be okay with that. You've got to be okay with that. And if you want it, say this, we've got to have some kind of timetable. What, what, when is this going to happen? What, what are we hitting? What's the mile marker? Because uncommunicated expectations will always lead to failure. And then whoever the one that was offended was has to start saying, all right, i got to be Jesus. i got to offer trust again. That's how we do this. That's how we recover. Now, as we talk about trust, i got to talk about one thing. i got to talk about the difference in forgiveness and trust. Because there's a big difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness versus trust. Forgiveness is undeserved. Trust is earned. What I mean by that is this. It is always right to forgive. As Christ forgave us. We have that example. All through scripture. It's the gospel. Trust is earned. Trust is what you give out once you say, hey, this is getting better. Trust is what we give out once you say, hey, you know what? I know that I've built this with you. I've gotten to know you more. And we can do this. Now, when I talk about this, i got to say one disclaimer statement that might not affect many people in the room, but i got to say it. If you're hearing me preach this morning and you're caught up in some kind of abusive relationship physically, sexually, this is not for you. Get out of it and come talk to me. But what I'm saying is if you're in a marriage that was healthy at one point and we've just had this issue or this problem, are we offering forgiveness? Are we giving out trust once it's been there? Let me digress a little bit. At some point in every one of our marriages, we each have to play Jesus. And what I mean by that is this. Marriage, when it's talked about in the church, it's got a lot of things that go along with it. You know, we talk about headship. We talk about submission. We, we, we talk about what, how God's plan for marriage was, mutuality, and like just mutual submission. Here's the basis of marriage from God's perspective, in my, in Pastor Chase's opinion. It's the gospel. It's that we have to start acting like Christ. And what I know about the gospel, what I know from the gospel of Luke, he writes this. For Jesus came to serve and not to be served. How are we doing in companionship? How are we doing in complimenting one another? How are we doing in honestly loving one another? If, if I were to come to your house and be like, hey, I'm just going to live here for five days. It's going to be pretty creepy, I get it, but I'm just going to stay here for five days. What would I see? What would I see? And some of you, that might just scare you. But church, our Father's viewing that every day, day in and out. I get it. There are times we're all going to make mistakes. There are times that I'm not going to appreciate my wife. It happened all the time. But are we being Jesus? Are we seeing the problem, repenting, and coming back and saying, hey, this is my companion. This is a son of God. This is a daughter of Christ. I need to love this creation that God has put in my life. So, as we talked about this, it's complicated series. 
and you thought maybe you were getting the Bible's answer to here's how God formed marriage and here's the, the blueprint on how we can have success in our marriage. I could have summed this sermon up in 10 seconds this morning, but decided not to. Are we being like Christ? That's basic principle. Yes, communication patterns help. Yes, exercises can help with how to communicate with one another, how to set priorities. Those can help. But at the basis of this, am I being like Jesus? Am I loving my spouse as myself? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this. Some of you might have had this passage at your marriage. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. What that says, now granted, this passage wasn't meant for marriage. This passage that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 wasn't meant for marriage. But if we put love at the center of marriage, if we put love being agape, unconditional, no matter what happens, I'm going to love you. If we put that at the center of marriage, what that tells me is this. It's greater than spiritual gifts. It's greater than everything else. Because what love is, is that same love that Jesus put on the cross. Are we doing that in our marriages? Are we saying, you know what? Not about me today. What do you need? Not about me. What do you need? Here's a tip from somebody that's not an expert. Something that I like to do. It's my competitive self. How I try to make my marriage healthier is I try to outdo my wife in loving me and loving each other. I look at my relationship and my marriage and say, man, Megan has been killing it. I'm going to show her up. I'm going to show her how to really love somebody. That's how I do it. Now, yes, that's probably not the, the healthiest way of doing it. But it gets my male competitive mind in the game. It says, yeah, I got to do this. Now, we talk about love. I think everybody that's been here married knows this. Marriage takes more than love. Because marriage is going to take blood, it's going to take sweat, it's going to take tears, and it takes work. It takes work. But church, it can be fun to work on your marriage. It can be. If you find yourself in that position today where like, hey, you know what, my marriage isn't where it needs to be. Please talk to somebody. Please have a conversation. That first conversation you need to have is with God. Sean said it in the video. He's like, man, first, I, I got on my knees and I prayed. I haven't been doing that a lot, but I did it. If that's where you find yourself right now, that's what I want you to do first. And then find somebody you trust and say, man, I got to talk to you. I need to talk about this because I'm struggling. Because we're all in this together. Now, lastly, couples are in here, maybe you're dating, maybe you're single, and you're like, man, I went to a sermon today and nothing was for me. Well, that's not true. Here's the last point. I'm going to make it for you. You might be saying, Chase, I'm not married, so what, what does all this mean? I'll tell you right now, you can prevent a lot of your marital fights before you're even married. What does that mean? Fix some things you got going on in your life right now. 
I go to training about once every year, year and a half, two years, and, and what's changed is this. Used to be the number one problem in marriages about 30 years ago was in-laws. It was like, my goodness, her mom is crazy. 15 years ago, it changed the communication. We didn't know how to talk to each other. And then about five years ago, it changed to something that I didn't know it was going to change to. The biggest problem in marriage turned to pornography. So if you're single in here, let me tell you something. You want to fix your marriage before it even starts? If you're struggling with some of those areas of communication, of envy, of jealousy, of pornography, you can fix that before you're married. You can work on it before you're married. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're just so glad we can gather in the house this morning. As we talk about relationships that are important, foundational to us, may we truly trust in you. May we truly know that we serve a risen Savior that loved us first. And may we emulate that love with our spouses. Praise on his name. Amen.